Meet little Melvin. He's a 90-pound weakling. Everyone hated Melvin. Yeah, I'm gonna take this mop and shove it down your throat! They teased him. I wanna do it with you. Okay! They taunted him. They tormented him until he had a horrifying accident and fell into a vat of nuclear waste. Transforming little Melvin into a hideously deformed creature of superhuman size and strength. Melvin became the Toxic Avenger. The first superhero born out of nuclear waste. The vandals and the perverts had their way with the little people of Tromaville until the Toxic Avenger ripped them apart. The Toxic Avenger. His face is so terrifying. We can't show it to you now. You'll have to see the movie for yourself. The Toxic Avenger can bend steel with his bare hands. Leap small cars in a single bound. He crushes drug pushers. Smashes hit and run drivers. For incredible explosive action you must see the Toxic Avenger. He's a different kind of hero. The Toxic Avenger is coming to your town. Look out. Ciao my people and welcome to our 141st episode of Happiness and Darkness, the superhero movie podcast where we discuss superhero movies from Marvel, DC, Dark Horse Image and more. Naturally there will be spoilers folks, so you have been warned. I'm one of your co-hosts, DJ Nick, and with me today returning to the podcast after way too long is my fantastic friend and podcasting partner in crime, the one, the only, Zan Sprouse. Hey Zan, how are you today and welcome back. Thank you so much, Nick. I'm doing well. I'm glad to be back. It's it's been a while. I'm glad to uh, keep up my tradition of holding on to the uh, of of being here for the culty episodes, the 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 less the, the ones you the ones you go. Oh yeah, they sh- that that is a superhero movie, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> yes, indeed. Because aside tradition. from I believe. Um reviewing superman 2 with us the very first time you were on here of course you were reviewing flash gordon so i think it's correct apt that uh, you're here to do this one because today ladies and gentlemen we are discussing the toxic avenger from 1984 directed by michael Hurst and lloyd kaufman the film was written by lord kaufman while the screenplay was by joe ritter Score-wise, for the most part, we got Night on the Bald Mountain by Masorski, which I think pretty much dominates this movie, aside from some great songs indeed. And to put it in today's money, this movie cost $1 million to make and made $2 million at the box office. So not bad for a uh, B-movie if you want an independent film. So, Zan, you know, rumor has it that you are pretty well-versed with it when it comes to the Tromaverse and such. So what are your general impressions on the, the toxic avenger well we've talked before on every other podcast that we've done <laughs> <laughs> that i've done that i love revenge stories and the toxic avenger is a fantastic revenge story and not only does he get revenge on all the bullies the you find out that in this town which of course you know tromaville is the fictional town where a lot of this takes place, where um, this one takes place, class of Newcomb High, you know, a lot of the things that aren't somewhere specific, um, they take place in Tromaville, New Jersey, which is in New Jersey. 
And it's a, it's a corrupt government too. So, you know, he brings down his bullies, other people's bullies, a corrupt government. And he even takes down someone that has, no one thinks is a criminal, but actually is a criminal. And the, and the city rallies around him. So he's, you know, everybody knows like, uh, no, this is a better place because of him. And that includes you, Mr. Mayor. So it really is kind of a, I mean, aside from all the boobs and the gore, it's a really pure story about somebody who's, you know, who is a character like, he's almost like a phantom character, you know, and um, more like a, more like a phantom of the paradise though, you know, cause the phantom of the opera is kind of a dick. Um, <laughs> but the phantom of the paradise is more like, no, you said you'd do this deal with me and you didn't do it. And now I'm going to screw you up. Or he's, when I think of, when I think of Toxie, I think I, he's mostly like Batman and RoboCop put together. And, but of course he's 1984. So he's, you know, before, before RoboCop, he's before we see somebody get magical powers when they get dumped in toxic waste. You know, it's, you know, it's five years before 1989's Batman. Um, and he's even a little bit, he's a little bit Rocky Dennis, you know, where he's, you know, he, you know, some people might be scared of him to look at him, but he does, but he is a good person underneath. He does find true love. And, um, so he's just, he's a very pure character and, uh, doesn't forget, <laughs> Doesn't forget where he came from. You know, he's really good with a mop. <laughs> this is very so, true. Yeah. And, and I okay. have Go ahead. This is just, and, and, and Troma has such a good job of making just absolutely disgusting psychotic characters that you just can't wait to see get, you know, burned by sauna rocks or strawberry milkshaked or whatever, you know. Yeah, very much so. And I have to ask at this point, because obviously when this movie came out, you were a, a very, very, very young. So when... I was eight. When, exactly, <laughs> I was going to say. I was two at the time and you were eight. So uh, I assume you did not get to see this at the theatre. So I was actually wondering when you're, you were first kind of exposed to the Toxic Avenger and, and all this stuff. Well, when I was in high school, there was an independent movie theatre here in Columbus called The Drexel. Mm -hmm. There, it... There's still one Drexel mm -hmm. down in there. There's a neighborhood just just east of downtown Columbus called Bexley, and there is a Drexel, and it's one of the oldest one of the oldest movie houses in the in the country. Continuously operating movie houses in the country. Um, Columbus actually does have the oldest operating single theater movie house. It's got two theaters now, but for the longest time, it was the single. There was a studio, uh, uh, the Studio 35 theater here was the oldest single screen movie theater still in continuous operation in the country. So we've got some fun theaters here. So the Drexel was our, it's our independent theater to the point where for a long time, we've got a couple independent theaters now. So if you, Columbus is the place for movie fans. You know, we don't have an Alamo draft house, but we've got a lot of good stuff. Um, for a long time, when you would describe a movie to someone, people would say, well, it's like a Drexel movie. And you would know that it's something a little off the beaten path or it's a, 
foreign film that's not going to come to a main, mainstream audience or it's your parents aren't going to get this one, <laughs> things like that. So its main location was there for a long time. And then um, they had a second location called the Drexel North, which was very close to me when I was a kid. Um, it was right on the bus line. Um, just It was in a part of Columbus that was just south of the suburb Worthington, which is where I grew up. And the owner partnered with a guy in town named Bruce Bartu and who just recently retired from the film and video, one of the film and video theaters at Ohio state um, just recently retired from that. And they would put on these 24 hour movie marathons um, in the spring, there would be a 24 hour sci-fi marathon. And in the, and in the fall, there'd be a 24 hour horror marathon. And I started going to those when I was in high school and you know, there'd be different movies every year, but every year there would be certain things that they ran that were kind of these either beloved shorts or trailers. Like there's a, um, there's a wonderful short film out there called gravity that I highly recommend. I think it's on, I think it's on YouTube that you can watch it. It's about how to help conserve gravity in a gravity shortage. Um, uh, there's my friend Kevin S. O'Brien, who, when he went to OU, uh, made, a, made a parody film called Night of Living Bread. That got shown every year. Duck Dodgers in the 24th and a half century got shown every year. And there was a handful of trailers from Troma that got shown every year. Toxie was one of them. So was Sergeant Kabuki Man. So was Surf Nazis. So was Nymphoid Barbarian and Dinosaur Hell. Um, those were... Trailers, we didn't know, we weren't like, I don't remember which movies we were ever able to get, but those trailers were something, some a big deal. And so seeing those trailers every year, and a lot of, this was before it was typically terribly easy to find them on videotape. We did have a, we did have a video store here on Ohio State's campus called North Campus Video, which was incredible. It had stuff I've never seen before or since. <laughs> I think they had a few of them. But I always, and then um, trauma got kind of big in the late 90s, mid to late 90s, when um, some young writer, I don't know, I think his name is James Gunn, um, <laughs> wrote a little movie called Tromeo and Juliet. So Tromeo and Juliet, I think, kind of put them on the map a little bit and sort of reminded people like, oh, hey, yeah, that's right, Toxic Avenger, blah, blah, blah. And then they did... Um, Cannibal the Musical with Trey Parker and Matt Stone. So they did do some bigger name stuff in the in the mid 90s. And then when I in the 2000s, when I met Chris and I started going to conventions, one of the first conventions I went to, Troma was there. Um, Lloyd wasn't there, but it was Troma just had like a booth. And I came home with a stack of DVDs. I was like, finally, I'm fine. I can finally have these movies. <laughs> so um yeah, just just you know, hanging out in the cult movie scene, you know, you're gonna know, you're gonna know trauma because because Lloyd is, and Michael Michael Hertz is nowhere near. He's the yin to Lloyd Kaufman's yang. He's more of a. He went to. He wound up going to law school after he went to. Uh, right after he was after he was at Yale and realized, you know, I'm kind of good at this. Let me just be the business partner. So he did do some directing, did do some productions, but he's been behind the scene for most of it for a long time. But Lloyd is, 
he's like two parts Roger Corman, five parts William Castle, three parts John Waters, and a bunch of everything all by himself. You know, there's, you know, you've seen, like I said, I think probably the most known person right now that got their start with trauma is probably James Gunn. And you can, you can see Lloyd in Guardians of the Galaxy. And that's always my favorite thing when the, when you, when you start to play, I believe it's when you start playing, um, it's what, oh, I haven't played this game in a while because I don't particularly enjoy the kickbacks on it but the guardians of the galaxy pinball machine when you start one of the multi-balls there's a shot of everybody at the prison when they're about to when they're about to escape the prison and lloyd is in that shot and that's always my favorite when i get to that mode i'm like all right i gotta see lloyd all right i'm good (laughs) um so he's such a (laughs) such an amazing self-promoter that he and he's so great with working with with younger people he's like he's like a roger corman where he's willing to start careers of people and so it's you know if you're if you're okay with gore if you don't mind some boobs you know you're gonna have some fun when you watch some trauma movies but yeah it was high school and going to the going to the movie marathons that made me realize who this group was interesting because i have to be honest my first sort of exposure this was literally the the animated show uh, Toxic Crusaders, which yeah. was what mm-hmm. got me into the whole thing, and I actually owned some of the action figures. I wish I still had them to this day. I don't know where nice. they've gone to, but um, you know they they're they're probably very very rare to find these days. But uh, I owned a couple of those, and I had never sort of really sat down to fully watch this. Even though my brother was a big fan of this, he literally had the poster of the movie in his room and stuff. And mm-hmm. you know, I sat down to watch this, and I thought to myself, okay. I'm going to get ready for a B-movie kind of experience, so I'm not going to try and look for incredible writing or anything like that. But I have to say, I was genuinely surprised by this film because, like you said, beyond the guts and the gore and the, and the, the boobs and everything else, I think there's literally more to this movie than meets the eye in the sense that if I think it very much plays in with the whole environmental justice movement, which mm-hmm. had, had literally been birthed, I think, like two years before this, like in 82, I believe it was. And obviously the 80s was very much, 80s slash 90s was very much the time of awareness for the environment and especially toxic waste problems and such. I believe there was an, a, an episode in North Carolina in 82 when apparently mm-hmm. there was this literal, I think, truck. Three Mile Island. There you go, exactly, with the 60 yeah. tons of, uh, of contaminated waste. And there was a whole mm-hmm. to do about that. So I wonder where that might have also influenced. You know, well, and it was a very, go for it. the 80s were this weird time um, because, you know, they had the 70s where, you know, the first Earth Day was 1970. And then you had um, Woodsy Owl, people like that. Woodsy Owl is the whole give a hoot, don't pollute guy. And then you had these commercials with Iron Eyes Cody. Mm-hmm. who <laughs> if, if anybody doesn't know this iron eyes cody pretended to be an indigenous actor for his entire life pretty much but he's italian <laughs> so um a lot of when you talk to a lot of indigenous actors they're like yeah whatever um the whole thing was like you see you see iron eyes cody in like this whole you know 
what Americans think of, you know, all Native Americans look like and, you know, feathers and braids and stuff. And, you know, not that they, not that that's not a staple of a lot of indigenous tribal traditions, but I don't think they paid attention to a particular one. I think they just put a bunch of stuff together and dressed this guy up. And like, he's standing on top of a hill and he turns around and there's a lot of pollution. And then he turns back and he's just crying one tear, you know? So, you know, everybody called it the crying Indian commercial. Um, And then in the eighties, we started having this, you know, the late seventies, we started having this push for nuclear power because nuclear power is very clean when it's done correctly. It's very clean. It's very reliable. But if something screws up, you get a China syndrome you get a Silkwood situation, you get a, um, you get a three mile Island. And then of course, in 1986, you get Chernobyl. So there was this sort of resurgence of atomic fear, the way we had this atomic fear in the fifties, where all of our fifties movies were things like um, the amazing colossal man or um, something like this Island earth, where we're trying to power we're trying to do nuclear energy and electronics. And then, you know, the aliens want that too. And um, even Godzilla was an, was a product of the atomic age. Well, I guess like the so, Fantastic Four or even the Incredible Hulk. Yeah. 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 That, that, that sort of science gone wrong type of thing or Spider-Man, you know, the radioactive spider. Um, but in, in, yeah, in film, you had a lot of, in the fifties, you had a lot of like atomic scare Type stuff, and I think it came back in the '80s after we started having some, you know, oops, we China syndrome ourselves today. What? Oh God, what do we do? Because that's the thing is, that if, it, if something does go wrong, it almost can destroy the entire planet. <laughs> so um, I think that's a lot of where Toxie kind of came from, you know, it, because also the um, the idea to have a sort of a horror movie or monster movie that, that's based out of a gym came to Lloyd Kaufman while he was working on the movie Rocky. Oh. So that was, um, I know we talked a little bit about that when we did uh, Rocky for um, Gold Standard, but yeah, Lloyd Kaufman worked on Rocky I and mean, he's, he did, he paid the bills by working on legitimate movies. <laughs> so um and then, you know, throughout the 80s, we, you know, we still had Woodsy Owl and we still had, um, you know, you started seeing people trying to recycle. And then in the 90s, the 20th anniversary of Earth Day hit. And that's when everybody was like, OK, if you don't recycle, you suck kind of a thing. So, yeah, the 80s were really trying to clean up the, the crap of honestly, the car culture, the car culture of, you know, from the 50s in through the 70s, you know, you'd have people. There'd be commercials of people that the one I told you about with Iron Eyes Cody, um, somebody like threw a bag of fast food out the window and it landed at Iron Eyes Cody's feet. And like that kind of stuff happened a lot. So you you tried to, you know, with, when we had a lot of this car culture of, you know, drive-ins, drive-throughs, eat in the car, travel through car, that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. So it was, yeah, it was definitely in the ether in the 80s for sure. And, a lot, and so was a lot of being scared of toxic waste. Yeah. Also, because I guess seeing the fact of the whole landfill and I, you know, I have very, very sort of um, 
not the clearest of memories from the 80s, obviously being born in 82. So I, I guess I could, could, could classify myself more as a 90s kid. So I was more sure conscious of my environment when it came to the 90s. But I've been. You guys have Captain Planet in Italy? Yes, indeed. Yes. Because I was just going to okay. Because then, of course, yeah. you have stuff like Captain Planet and the Planeteers and a lot of environmentally friendly TV shows for kids, which was all about the environment and no surprise the toxic uh, crusaders came out during that time mm-hmm. um so yeah. so it's it, it very much plays into that and also i was wondering i don't know if this is just me zan but when i watched this i mean it seemed to me like it's also maybe a commentary or even a uh, cynical or sarcastic way of what was hot in the 80s so you know blonde bombshells or just bombshells in general with these incredible bodies and the mm-hmm. violence and workout culture, workout culture. And so I wonder whether it was just because some people could just, uh, should we say, um, chalk this up to just bad acting. But even the acting seemed like super heightened to where it was like we are literally um, making fun of these workout videos or these commercials where everybody's like super smiling and almost overexcited about things. So it, I. Yeah, it, it definitely felt like that to me, too, because you have, you know, I don't care how much of a bad actor you are i don't think you all as a group of four people are going to get in a huddle to plan on how you're going to get back at the mop guy and like you know shake your shake your hips while you're talking about it you know there's there's a lot of over exaggerated stuff in that just you know even um just the way everybody you know, the, the, she's messing with my karma, you know, all that. I, I really think that that was encouraged um, from the direction. And you would see that in sort of B movies. I'm thinking of the, um, thinking of polyester, mm-hmm. probably, probably my favorite John Waters movie is polyester. Um, but the, the daughter in polyester is just, always in like hot pants and a halter top and always dancing. And it's like, that's, that is obviously an over, <laughs> you know, an over the top type of um, performance that was probably encouraged. So, yeah. yeah, I think it was a lot of it was making, making fun of like the workout culture and um, the eighties were not a great time. If you weren't perfect if you weren't beautiful, because it was this, it was a very superficial time. It was all about how good you looked, how much money you made. I mean, the eighties were after were when we started perfecting plastic surgery, breast implants. um, And again, workout culture. So if you didn't have a perfect body, Cher was going to be on a commercial and deride you about it. (laughs) So to be like some nerdy guy who was the mop guy at the health club is going to be, you're going to get bullied. I mean, the things that, you know, the things that people got bullied for in the eighties were just sort of ridiculous. So I think it really was kind of poking fun of that. That's why I very much have to applaud this film because, you know, you do have movies which almost like try too hard to give you certain messages and like they like have multi-million dollar budgets with multi-million dollar stars and they try to bring that message forward but it seems like they're trying too hard and what i think is fabulous about this film is aside you know obviously from you know i guess the the gratuitous violence and everything else is 
there's definitely much more uh, uh, that this movie is trying to say. And I think if you just mm-hmm. obviously, obviously stop at that stuff, it's like, oh, it's just blood and guts and, and, and breasts. You have to try and look beyond that and sort of see what the image was. Kind of remind me, I guess, of what um, I guess was done with Zombie at the time, which was also a commentary yeah. on, on social culture and what have you. It's not just, you know, some zombies going into a, a supermarket and just raking havoc. So, so kudos. Right. So that's why I think it's it's fantastic. That's why I really, really appreciated this film. So let's deeper dive into our movie, starting with our titular character himself. We have Mark Torgi as Melvin Ford Junko III and Mitch Cohen as the physical Toxic Avenger, while Toxie's voice was provided by Kenneth Kessler. So, Zan, what did you make of our hero, I guess, before he became the Toxic Avenger and when he does become the Toxic Avenger? Yeah, he's. I, I think Melvin is sort of your perfect example of like the geeky guy. You know, he's got the glasses. He's he's you know, you know, skinny and gangly, and he he's in the right place but doing the wrong thing. You know, like he's at the health club, and the health club is where everybody's hanging out, um, which you know kind of feels like a Power Rangers kind of thing. Yeah. <laughs> he's. But he's he's working there. So, you know, not only and they don't really they don't really mention this in this movie, but that was something you saw in the 80s also, where it'd be like there'd be a place that the popular kids would hang out because they were rich. And then the unpopular kids, they were there, but it's because they had after school jobs there. So um, that is a. That's sort of a, a, a trope that I feel like I am putting on this movie because I saw it so much. <laughs> um, and, uh, you know, he's just, you know, trying to do his thing. And there, there, there is one trope that I um, never quite understood in a lot of these 80s movies where you had like the popular kids versus the unpopular kids. And it was all about how the popular kids or the, or the unpopular kids kind of wished they were popular. Like I, I, you know, being the, being one of the unpopular kids, I would have hated these kids. And like, if one of them had come on to me, I would have been like, go to hell. (laughs) Like, I know this is either a joke or you are, um, Or you're, or, or you're just making fun of me. So, you know, it's, you know, it's unfortunately he falls for the whole, you know, Hey, I think you're, you know, I've been mean to you every other day I've ever known you, but here I am. And, you know, I understand that he believes that, you know, um, who is he with Julie? I think. Yes. Julie. Yes. Um, that You know, Julie is, you know, is sick or her boyfriend's crap because I mean, <laughs> let's face it bozo's a pain in the ass um like she'd come on to him you know I, I feel like he's smarter than that you know but whatever that's just me um so he goes through the whole thing of like here put on this crazy outfit and you know we're gonna have you know weird crazy tutu sex <laughs> and you know that he gets the ultimate humiliation of his life and then he gets turned into turned into toxic waste and <laughs> Which, by the way, um, just 
you know, little public public service announcement. If that ever happens to you, don't take a bath. It's not water's water's bad for that. <laughs> yeah. And then, you know, he you know he, he goes home. He tries to tries to hide it from his mother. Goes home and then just sort of finishes with his mutation, I guess. And I got it. I got to give it to him. They did a pretty good job in this for the mutation scenes, you know, where it's obviously a fake arm on the side of the bathtub, but of course it's going to look fake. It's mutated, you know? And so, you know, when he, when he comes out as, you know, as Toxie, I love that he still has the tutu love that he still has the tutu throughout the whole thing. Um, He's, he's kind of an incredible Hulk character. Like he's very, he's a very kind, sweet person, but if he sees you, cross him if he you cross him or you see him crossing you or or if you if he sees you crossing someone else he's gonna you know shove his mop in your face and you know i think it 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 really did sort of remind me of um robocop with the you know where he starts out with the guys in the alley you know it's a it's a it's a cop instead of a woman who's about to be sexually assaulted but um i'm like yeah this is how often did uh, Verhoeven watch this before he created Robocop? <laughs> but, um, and even when, um, even, even when he does, you know, you know, he tries to go home and his, you know, his mom is um, afraid of him. And, you know, he meets he meets Sarah, who can see beneath the the mutated exterior. You can you can tell that he's just kind of a lonely, sweet guy. And even he says, "I don't know what came over me. I just pretty much, you know, killed a bunch of people." <laughs> and you know, like I said, he almost becomes like a um, like a Paul Kersey character as well um, from. Uh, death wish just he, he's you know he's the toxic avenger but he could also call him the toxic vigilante mm-hmm. and you know i i think we see that in a lot of superheroes there's a, a a sort of a a driving force for a lot of superheroes is loneliness plus trauma Plus, oh, I'm trying to think, uh, newly found abilities, I guess. There you go. Yep. <laughs> Whether you have someone who's like Peter Parker, who is the nerd, or you have someone like Batman who, you know, is dealing with rage from losing his, losing his parents, or you have Bruce Banner who has tapped into anger and it's not just it's not just making him angry it's it's when he sees you know these superheroes are empaths Mm -hmm. and i think toxie is no is no exception to that because whenever he sees somebody and especially you know tromaville we see on the sign what has it got a population of like fifteen thousand people it's not a big town you know so the people who are doing the bullying are kind of the same people you know if you're young it's these you know it's a slug and bozo and their crone and their cronies and then um and then you have this corrupt government so, you know, he's, he's got the, the, the rage inside of him from being a punching bag his entire life. And now he's, 
you know, he's using it for good, quote unquote, even it is very, even if it is very creative ways of, you know, assaulting people, you know, taking their eyes out or <laughs> I love how he puts the one woman in the, uh, in the laundry press. I mean, he's just very, very creative with his, uh, with his comeuppances. So, and this is, this is that kind of story where you, you are really easily ready to live in that universe. Like pretty quickly, you're just in this universe. It's like, okay, there's a town in New Jersey that handles a lot of toxic waste. So things aren't quite right. And we've got really shitty people walking around and um, yeah, that guy, um, you know, the guy who, uh, who shot Sarah's seeing eye dog needs to have his face turned into a milkshake. Like you really are excited for that to happen. And, you know, when people sort of talk about, you know, the gore of these movies, it's, it's not just there. It's not just there for the sake of it. You know, it's not like Eli Roth kind of stuff like, oh, hey, I can make gore. It's, they're really trying, I think, I think they're really trying to make these characters really awful. Like if they had just taken Sarah's cane and broken it in half and, you know, spun her around and made her, made her lose her equilibrium or something like that. Maybe they don't need to deserve to die, but one of them almost tried to rape her and he needs to have his arm taken off. And one of them shoots her dog and he needs to have his face turned into a milkshake. That is not, that that's not a for debate. <laughs> You're really happy about that. And Another thing in this, um, and this was also something you heard a lot when, you know, in the 80s when people were, when, when bullying was sort of like, that's just what people do. You have to, there was a real message in the 80s of conformity. And if you were being bullied, the message wasn't stop bullying as much as it was you know, here's how the popular kids will like you. Like all those, you know, all those hygiene movies that told you how to fit in. And so if you weren't fitting in, like you should be expected to be the butt of jokes or even look at something like Carrie, the movie Carrie, where, and you're never quite sure if this is her imagination or if this is really happening, but everyone's laughing at Carrie. Everyone thinks this is funny. And that's something that happens when, you know, when Toxie, you know, not only, slug and bozo but one of the the guy who gets his hands deep fried in the in the what was obviously at one point a taco bell (laughs) that was that is an 80s taco bell arc that's 80s taco bell architecture if i've ever seen it but the whole his whole thing like oh can't you take a joke it's like this is not funny you you traumatize these people and you killed somebody's dog this isn't funny that whole like can't you take a joke was a big defense back in the day and Toxie, no, he's sick of this. He's been taking this joke his entire life and he is done with it. And, you know, I don't feel like, and that's why Toxie becomes such a, such a local hero. I don't, I don't, in the confines of this movie, I don't feel like he's overreacting. And, you know, that's the, that's the good part about Lloyd and his kind of twisted sensibilities is he's going to create villains that you want to see go. And you want to see them go in very creative ways. <laughs> and, you know, and, and at the end of the day, when 
you know, he goes, you know, when he goes home with Sarah and they have this kind of, you know, sweet little romance together. And then even she says, you know, he's like, you know, don't stay with me. It's dangerous. You know, typical superhero thing. Like, I, you know, I can't have, I can't have close relations because that'll just be, you know, that makes them vulnerable. You know, the typical trope of. Yeah. Creates you know, targets for my, for my. Uh, enemy. Yeah. Creates targets. I can't find true love because then that's who the green goblin is going to kidnap or what have you. Um, she's like, no, I want to, I want to go with you, whatever we can do. And then I, I love how they go hide out in a tent. That's like really, really obvious. <laughs> it's like all this green and then their blue tent in the middle of nothing. <laughs> but you know, he's, he's sticking up for everybody that has been through this. And that's why everybody is like, um, no, we need this guy. We can't let the, we can't let the mayor go, you know, go kill the monster. And they, they call him the monster. Um, he's the monster. He's the monster hero in like, that's what's on the t-shirts and that's what everybody refers to him as. And it's, it's like reverse Frankenstein. Instead of the townspeople coming to get him, the townspeople, the townspeople go to protect him. And I think he represents all of our revenge fantasies. Like, you know, when you see somebody who's just a terrible person, you're like, oh, I wish I could, I wish I could be here for when they get theirs. You know that I was thinking exactly the same thing. Whenever horrible people were doing things on the screen, I thought to myself, I was kind of rubbing my hands together saying, wait till Toxie arrives because you are so screwed when he arrives. You are so dead. <laughs> but I thought it was curious that, you know, when we first meet Melvin, that, yeah, like you said, it's very much, I think, the exaggerated tropes or stigma that comes with what was considered a nerd or somebody who just did not fit in with the cool kids because, like you said, even when, when you don't have the thing with the glasses, he's always squinting, kind of like the idea of I need glasses because I'm squinting and I can barely see what's going on. And just the way he yeah. walks around all these, you know, beautiful men and women, you can clearly see just sticks out like a sore thumb. I think it's very much is that, like you were saying, that exaggeration of the nerdy guy, the the, the person who will never fit in the and, and everything else. And I felt just really, really empathy and just almost sadness for this guy because it's a very tragic character at first mm -hmm. and you think to yourself does this guy have any friends probably not i guess he's living with his mom and so on and then when when he he undergoes that transformation it is very much it's curious because yes he becomes obviously horribly disfigured because of the toxic waste but you know he becomes bulky becomes muscular and has this Amazing, yeah, and this amazing, beautiful voice provided by Kenneth Kessler, this very sort of deep and soothing voice. So it's it very much, I think, turns the whole superhero thing on its head in the sense you have the bulk, etc. You're not, um, you know, the lantern George superhero from DC or Marvel, but you're you sure you sound like him <laughs> exactly. But you have you have the voice. That's exactly it. So, and 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 you also get the girl in the process. So it's interesting right. how they subvert the superhero, should we say, trope of, you know, dashing handsome who, who all the girls are falling over. And even, even when he becomes the Toxic Avenger, there literally you hear both men and women wanting to literally, you know, get in bed with this guy. You know, you even have, I guess, what yeah. is it, gay hairdressers who are like, he prefers mm -hmm. blondes. He doesn't prefer brunettes and yeah. stuff. So it's fabulous. I hear he's really big and yeah. <laughs> so I, he, he, yeah, he becomes, he becomes sort of the sexy one and he reminds me a little bit of another character from this year, Kevin the Nerd from um, Repo Man. Mm -hmm. 
um, played by Xander Schloss. And they kind of look the same. I mean, Kevin Leonard wears glasses yeah. and, uh, you know, Melvin doesn't, but they're kind of the same thing. That sort of like unruly, curly hair, skinny. Um, and Kevin, the nerd is actually the unofficial inspiration for Napoleon Dynamite. So oh. I think that just must've been in the ether that like you had to have, you know, either a well-crafted mullet or perfectly feathered hair, but like the curly hair wasn't going to fly or something. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know what it was. I mean, Toxie of course has no hair, but yeah, he's got the voice. He's got the bulk. He can, he can finally win the fights that he's lost his entire life. Cause he's now, you know, he has that he's, he's Godzilla. He's, he has the superhuman atomic strength now. Exactly. And I, I just love this character to death. I was like, wow, who thought I'd fall in love and love this guy so much, but I very yeah. much do. So yep. as we did mention her a little bit, let's get to the lady in Toxie's life. We have Andre Miranda as Sarah. So, you know, Zan, you mentioned her a little bit here and then. Yeah. What did you make of Sarah and what she brought to the story? Um, Sarah, I, I think, is an interesting character because I think she only really works in the confines of the 80s when it's okay to make fun of blind people. <laughs> 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 because the, it, it, she is the representation of beauty is only skin deep and true beauty can be seen without being seen mm -hmm. and that there's, you know, she's there to show us that there's more to Toxie than just this, this mutated guy. You know, he is, you know, he is able to talk. Nothing happened to his, his, his ability to speak other than his voice is lower. Um, and so he is able to say, Hey, don't be scared. I'm going to help you. I'll walk you home. And he is able to talk to her about how much he likes her and how afraid he is. He's like, you know, don't, <laughs> it's nothing to worry about. It's just a rash. I wouldn't want you to touch it. I love that bit where he's like, really, Wait, trying can to I touch it. your face? He's like, no, <laughs> yeah, no, I've got a rash. I wouldn't worry about it, but it's just, I don't think, I don't want to exacerbate it really. Um, but yeah, that's, that's the thing. It's like that, the, you know, bullies always overlook the fact that everyone they're bullying because of what they are like on the outside are probably 100 times more full of substance than the bullies ever could hope to be. And so she's a, she's, she's a, she is the blind hermit character from Frankenstein, essentially. The one that, you know, oh, instead of like, oh, finally a friend, she's, you know, you know, oh, my hero and someone, you know, someone I can love and someone who can take care of me situation. But she definitely is very similar to that character, but she's more similar to the Gene Hackman version. Right. Where right. he comes to her apartment and she's saying, sit here and go over there and she's dropping things and, you know you know, hitting him in the nuts, <laughs> all those sort of comedic things about what she can and cannot do because she can't see. So I think that's one thing about this movie that it is a little bit um, 
that makes it dated is that, you know, we're making fun of, we're sort of, I don't think we're making fun of blind people, but we're sort of getting laughs at the expense of blind people. Um, we're laughing at the, you know, how the fat mayor has somebody on his payroll just to wipe up his sweat. Um, there's the fat girl at the health club that's kind of taking the aerobics class, but also eating a candy bar in the aerobics class. <laughs> and um, and then you sort of make fun of, they're, they're, they're sort of making, again, I don't think they're making fun of the gay hairdressers, but they're playing up that gay stereotype for the laugh. And, you know, I think, I think that's the only real problem with the Sarah character is that they are, um, sort of playing up that like goofy, like, oh, she's going to drop something. Oh, she's going to trip on something. She's not going to see what she's doing or that kind of, that kind of trope about, uh, anyone with, with a disability that doesn't, that isn't seen as, and I'm, and I'm, and I'm saying this from a completely stereotypical point of view. It's not anything I believe, but that disability that isn't a tragic disability. It's just something that you live with like blindness or deafness or dwarfism or, or something like that. There's a, um, there's a really bad movie um, from 19... 87 or 8 I think I can't remember what year it is but it's called Chopper Chicks in Zombie Town and it's just basically this lesbian biker gang fighting off zombies and oh um, there's a scene where they come up on this busload of blind orphans that are coming back from some sort of oh, no. excursion and the zombies are around are surrounding their bus and one of the kids kind of figures out what's going on and he's like ugh blind no parents now this like it's just this really ridiculous joke kind of like at the that these are blind kids and they can't necessarily fight off the zombies so there that that was a thing in the 80s that was a trope that we sort of knew we sort of knew that blindness was not something that held people back necessarily so i think we dealt with our discomfort by kind of cracking jokes at it like almost like you were roasting people and unfortunately, I think she falls, she falls into that trope, but she's there for Toxie to Toxie to have a, a connection with someone because Toxie doesn't really have a good connection with anybody, but his mother who probably, you know, doesn't, you know, like, like you even hear that scene where he's in, he's in the bathroom and he's groaning and his voice is lower. So, you know, she's probably thinking his voice is cracked and he's learned how to masturbate. And she's like, Oh, my boy finally has gone through puberty. Yep. <laughs> so he's sort of been infantilized by his mother for quite a while, but here's, here's an adult that isn't going to make fun of him because honestly, she can't, everybody's made fun of him because of the way he looks and she can't do that. I mean, she could, but the likeliness is, is low. And, you know, he saved her. And, it, and what I like about this romance is that he saved her because it was the right thing to do. Not because, 
not because it was someone he had loved from afar and now he gets the chance to help her, mm. you know? So like not a like damsel, a, damsel in distress kind of thing. She is a damsel in distress, but she's not Mary Jane and she's right. not Lois Lane or she's not um, Christine Daae, um, to go back to the Phantom analogy. She's not Phoenix, like if it's Phantom of the Paradise. Um, it's... It's not like he's finally gotten his chance to prove himself to the girl he loves. Right. He just right. does the right thing. And then he and the girl fall in love with each other otherwise, which I think is, 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 is turns the trope on its, you know, on its side a little bit. We don't usually see that. Like I said, what we usually see is I'm trying to think of another good example. Um, you know, Batman going to save Vicki Vale in the 1989 Batman or right. um, or even like the rape scene in Revenge of the Nerds, like where he dresses up like her boyfriend mm -hmm. because he really likes her and he wants to sort of get with her. So he does the only thing he can. Um, he's just doing this because this is the right thing to do. He knows that some some thugs have killed her dog, which... Charles wants to do John Wick for drunk cinema and I won't do it. I won't drink and watch that puppy get killed in the same night. I'm not doing that. Right. You know, usually if a dog gets killed, I'm like, I'm like, all right, I'm out. But this one, thank you, Lloyd, for making it so fake looking that it's obviously not real. <laughs> um, you can almost see the dog still breathing, even though the, 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 right. the, the there's a dog lying down breathing with just like spaghetti on it. But when it goes across the floor, it is obviously a stuffed dog. I mean, it's yes. very obvious a stuffed dog. Um, and again, it's just a device to make these characters look even worse. Like you cannot wait for the toxic adventure to show up and kill them. Um, and the same thing, she's about to be, she's about to be raped in front of a bunch of people. You know, that's in a, in a, in a revamped Taco Bell. That's, that's a nightmare. And so I think, I, I, I don't necessarily think she has like, Stockholm's not I wouldn't say Stockholm syndrome like Florence Nightingale syndrome more it's more of a Florence Nightingale thing she might have a little bit of that of like falling in love with her hero but you know he's definitely not in this to get girls he's in this to to help people and I think she figures that out that he's he's very kind he's very sweet and you know hey I don't know what happens when you get mutated but apparently it's good in bed I don't <laughs> so that's you know she benefits in that way i suppose i don't know I but guess. um i think they have a romance that's a little like i said it's a little more pure it's not you know they meet because he's doing the right thing it's not that he does the right thing because he already knows her and i right. really like that aspect. i really like that aspect of her character even though there are some some things that are played for laughs at her expense that i think are like eh, Maybe this wouldn't fly in the more um, in 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 our current culture of being a little bit more sensitive to the differences people can't can't change. I mean, it'd be one thing if you know you make that joke about yourself. That's one thing. Lloyd makes it for you. Maybe not so much. <laughs> 
Well, I guess then, uh, you know, we'll, it'll be very interesting to see when the Toxic Avenger remake comes around, which apparently is in the works. So, mm-hmm. um, so it'll be interesting to see, aside from like the way that they're casting someone like Peter Dinklage, who is already an incredibly handsome man in general, but whatever. But uh, we'll, we'll, we'll definitely, I'm sure, get to that later on in the, on this episode. But I'm right there with you. I have to admit, granted, we hadn't had the film versions, I don't think, yet. I wonder whether the character of Sarah may also have been kind of inspired by Alicia Masters from the Fantastic Four. So literally the woman who falls in love with the thing who is also blind. So I wonder whether, you know, Kaufman and Hertz might have been comic book fans themselves and might have taken a page from the Alicia Ben Grimm storyline, possibly. I mean, that's just, I guess that's, it's uh, the, my, this opinion is colored by my, you know, love of comics in general, knowing that's one of the big ones, of course, in Marvel is this, uh, incredible this love between the of course ben grimm and alicia masters so i wonder whether it might have been that but yeah it's very much that exaggerated version of alicia i mean at the time obviously we only had the comics fantastic four wise before the movies came along and it's very much an exaggerated version of that like the the 20 million um canes she has in her house or Mm -hmm. mind mind the step and she trips over or and the, I think also the almost excessive kindness in the sense we can tell she's a very gentle and almost naive spirit, but it's almost like I mentioned before that heightened reality, if you will, of it's taken to the nth level. She like has this very saccharine, sweet voice, very high pitched and is almost just has this almost ingenue about her, which I enjoyed, but I'm like, I get what they're doing here as well. They're like, you know, oh, the sweet blind girl, if you will, who's just would never do anybody any harm. And then, right. you know, she gets with uh, with Toxie and we have the, I, I, I had to laugh during the sex scene because while we have that kind of yeah. very 80s power ballad and they're having sex, it looks like something out of a, like a, like of a soft porn movie. And I thought it was mm-hmm. hilarious. Yeah. Also, I, I hope she doesn't get any sort of, whether she doesn't maybe get any powers in the process because we actually do see Toxie in a back alley taking a leak and we actually see green stuff coming out. So I'm like, yeah. I hope that Sarah will be okay. That's not David Bowie. I love that. I love that scene. You said you'd take me to a David Bowie show and he's not David. Bowie. <laughs> that yes. is, yeah. But yeah. I'm not, I'm not quite sure how that, how that works for her. Like, is this a, is she going to get some sort of radiation or <laughs> what have you? But you know, to, to their credit, I mean, he does, I mean, she gets a name change in later movies, but they kind of stay together for a while. Mm. So I believe she's also in the animated TV show as well. I yeah, believe she, her name, her name, her name is Claire in later movies. Right. Right. So interesting. But yeah. So, you know, good for them. You know, exactly. they got the, yeah, uh, this is one of my new favorite couples, ladies and gentlemen. I thought I'd see it all with Superman and Lois. Now I have mm-hmm. Toxie and Sarah. So yep. I'm, definitely, I'm definitely rooting <laughs> for these crazy kids. So let's get to some of the villains then that inhabit Tromaville. We have our freaky foursome of murderous teens, where we, of course, we have Gary Schneider as Bozo, Robert Pritchard as Slug, and their delightful girlfriends, Jennifer Baptist as Wanda and Cindy Mannion as Julie. So, uh, Zan, what do you make of this tremendous foursome? <laughs> Somebody let these kids watch uh, Death Race 2000 too often. You know, they're, they're just, they're just all such pure psychopaths. They're just pure psychopathic narcissists. So they kind of deserve each other. 
And it's it's definitely taking the, the 80s trope to the nth degree. You know, whenever you saw an 80s movie, there was... I always say that sort of the, the quintessential 1980s villain was Billy Zabka mm-hmm. from The Karate Kid. Um, Karate Kid movies or... Um, just one of the guys like he's the popular kid that's just just mean like just not a nice person you're like why are you popular or um uh steph from pretty in pink who is played by um oh my god i just lost it i just lost a name i don't i don't know how i don't know how that i don't know how that happens to me but um Okay, I'll keep I'll keep going. I'll keep talking and I'll have to look this up because I can't believe I can't remember this name. James Spader? Name's freaking Spader. Oh my god, how did I forget that name? Thank you. No problem. And then the actor who plays, and I can't remember this guy's name either, but the actor that plays um Amanda's boyfriend in uh some kind of wonderful. He's just terrible. I mean, they're just they're just terrible people. That's like they know that they're beautiful, they know they're good at sports, and they expect to be compensated for that either with um scholarships grades cars from their parents or whatever women they want and these are kind of those same guys it's like they um they um now slug looks a little bit like you know he always kind of put he, he put me in mind of, of like uh, a prototype for lost boys Corey feldman I was just going to say at first I was convinced <laughs> that was Corey Feldman. Yeah. Corey would have been too young for this. Yes. <laughs> 1984. Yep. Too young to play this. Yeah. Role. This, this was, you know, Corey was still doing like uh, gremlins at that point. So yeah. um, it was still a little shame, but yeah, he had that, the headband, the feathered hair and the, you know, Hey, look at me. I'm good at working out. I have a car. I can do whatever the hell I want. The girls like me. And even the girls are like psychotic just totally psychotic like hey next time you go you know next time you and bozo go driving around killing people can i come with you <laughs> and i want to take photos and then masturbate to them later i mean really yeah exactly and then the scene where you know she she and slugger in the locker room and uh, melvin comes in on them it's like get out or i'll kill you like who keeps a knife on them during sex like what is that <laughs> it's true <trauma laughs> just that just seems dangerous. Like that's, that's too much margin of error in my opinion. Um, but uh, there was, um, but yeah, I, I feel like they are a great mix of eighties teen psychopath, sociopathic, psychopathic narcissists. And then you add in that, you know, cause, cause Traumaville because of its toxic waste is almost like half, 80s small town half post-apocalyptic wasteland yeah and so when you add that post-apocalyptic wasteland part in it you're gonna have kids that are driving around trying to take out um various races for various points i mean they're also extremely racist um you know saying you know that uh go down the line yeah uh, blacks jews black jews and puerto ricans are worth 30 points and kids are worth double and it's you know there's just so they're so they're so incredibly racist and horrible and you're again this is this is what lloyd does is that he makes you 
hate these people so much that when something creative, when a creative death scene comes out, you're really excited because they, they very much deserve it. And, um, you know, like when they, when they steal that old woman's Toyota and just beat her up and leave her in the street. That was Clockwork Orange all over again. Yeah, that really was. That really was very Clockwork Orange, you know, especially since they got her with the walking stick and, and he's singing um, while he's beating her to death, literally. Yeah. Um, I believe what he was singing was kind of a playoff of the old Toyota, um, the old Toyota commercials, the either, oh, what a feeling, or uh, yeah. who could ask for anything more. Um, so I think that was a little, that was a little joke in there for, for the 80s. Um, but yeah, they're, these, they're, this, they're this perfect mixture of perfect 80s hair, perfect 80s bodies, and just horrible people that you cannot wait to see them get their comeuppance and to see them get theirs. And it, hel- it, it helps because when you get like, you, you can't, when you're going to get kills like this in a movie with the, with the creative and the gore, you can't have any empathy for, <laughs> for who's going to get them or else it's going to be, it's going to haunt you. It's going to upset you later. And that does not happen. You're like, I can't, when does the, when do they get there? Why aren't they in the deep fryer yet? You know, you're like waiting this whole movie, like, come on. <laughs> yes, it's true. And it's interesting here that aside from Sarah, all the beautiful people are horrible. Whereas, you mm-hmm. know, should we say the, the, yeah. the, the misfits are the good people, you know, like Toxie. Right. I mean, as I said, Sarah's pretty much the, the um, I guess, the old one out. And, well, I mean, she's blind, but I mean, aside from that, I mean, she's a gorgeous, gorgeous girl. But yeah. um, it's interesting. I think also this thing is like, I, I wonder why it's also that commentary of we hate the beautiful people because the beautiful people are shallow and vapid and empty. And it's, and it's the ones that, you know, have beauty on the inside that you should be hanging out with. And I love that. I mean, yeah. I, lo- I mean, imagine being Lloyd Kaufman in the 60s going to Yale. Yeah. You know? <laughs> this guy, you know, the guy who's going to make these kind of movies trying to find his, you know, his people at Yale like, I mean, the Ivy League, it's a little waspy. <laughs> I'll just, yeah, exactly. We'll just, we'll just admit that. We'll just go ahead and admit it. And so, you know, I'm sure that, I mean, you see here in this picture, you know, I am, I am five, six. Lloyd is not much taller than me. He's not a, he's not a tall guy. He's not a broad shouldered guy. You know, he's not going to be the guy with the sweater around his shoulders. The short little Jewish guy who was walking around. Yes. He's just, he's just the short guy that has a twisted sense of humor that, you know, he's, he's so much more interested. I think he's so much more interested in what's underneath something than, than the, uh, you know, who can, who can become prom queen and prom king, you know? So I, I, I like to think that a lot of that commentary comes from Lloyd, but it came from, it was a thing in the eighties. It was almost this backlash to what was going on. Like I said, around 1984, the whole, I don't know if you, I don't know if you remember the movie, if you've ever seen the movie perfect, mm-hmm. but um, it's a movie you don't see very much anymore. I wonder like what happened to it, but you don't even see it on DVD or anything, but it's a, Jamie Lee Curtis and uh, John Travolta and he's a writer for Rolling Stone. And he's basically saying that the, 
the health clubs of the eighties are the new discos of the seventies. Like if you want to go and hook up and get casual sex, that's where you're going to go. So it became this sort of really shallow thing. So having that setting there, I think was kind of perfect. It's so perfect for the eighties because it was workout, 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 be perfect, look perfect. Um, Jane Fonda stayed on the New York Times bestseller list for, I swear to God, like 10 years with her book. I mean, it was a thing. It was in the air. Oh, yeah. I mean, I was actually thinking these were like, I think the years also when uh, Arnie was around, I think, kind of showing off his kind of muscles and everything else, I suppose, roughly, I believe. This was the, ter- this was the year of the Terminator. Exactly. So, in fact, there so, is that. There is a chap in the gym who looks uncannily like Arnold Schwarzenegger for some uh-huh. reason. But, uh, so I wonder where that was kind of like a dig at Arnold Schwarzenegger, possibly. But um, yeah. Yeah. And, and the, the, how psychotic these people are. I'm, I'm thinking also the whole, I wonder, I mean, cause you know, you know, you probably get know this better than I do, Zan, cause you know, I know you're very good when it comes to true crime and stuff, I guess. Serial killers were still very much a thing, I believe, when it comes to these years, or were they, was it in inverted commas starting to fizzle out? I think there was still that fascination possibly with serial killers and everything else, because the way Wanda and Julie act is very much that whole, I want to take pictures of my victims so I can then pleasure myself later with them. So I wonder yeah. when we're still in the zeitgeist of these serial killers would kill people and then enjoy reliving their crimes Either by and, taking and we, trophies or by, or by taking pictures. Yeah. And we were starting to, you know, around this time is when criminal profiling started mm-hmm. to really come to criminal profiling had been around for a long time, but it was sort of seen as hocus pocus. And so around this time that started to be a little more validated and you had you, you, you know, you you had serial killers like like the Night Stalker, like Richard Ramirez, mm-hmm. got marriage proposals in prison because he was so handsome. Well, people thought he was handsome. I think he looks like a psycho. Um, you had and you had serial killer vigilantes like Bernie Getz mm-hmm. and. And you also started having serial killer movies like, you know, only a few years before, about 10 years before it was Texas Chainsaw, where we started to learn about Ed Gein. Um, it hadn't been that long since John Wayne Gacy had gotten arrested and it hadn't been. So or then you Bundy have something... was also still in the in the should we say zeitgeist as well, possibly. Bundy. Yeah. Bundy had been arrested at this point. And again, a lot was a lot of people talked about how attractive he was. And then that's how he got girls is because he was good looking. Mm-hmm. I personally think he looks nuts, but that's me. And I believe Bundy Bundy's execution was, I think, like 1987, there you go. 88, something like that. So it was around that time. And again, you still had movies like um, Maniac starring um, Joe Spinell from Rocky and from uh, Godfather 2. And in 1984, I know for me, there was a couple of serial killers operating near where I lived. They would um, they would find children and try to be like, you know, oh, hey, you know, how you doing? Where do you live? Oh, that's your mom. And then like kill the whole family. So the psychology of that and like I said, having that psychology of 
these, uh, these attractive psychopaths that like women still wanted even after they got in prison. And then, you know, psychopathic people on TV who just get their freaking way, like a J.R. Ewing, you know, attractive, rich, mm-hmm. gets his way, horrible person, <laughs> like that whole sort of horrible person getting away with crap was just kind of a thing that was, that was going in, you know, uh, um, trying to think of what else is on TV around the time. But yeah, you started to see, um, that kind of, you're right. You, I'm, I'm trying to think of who else at the time had been caught. Like, I don't think Eileen Warnos had been caught yet. Mm. Um, but you, yeah, you started to see this sort of, anti-hero of yeah, the like glamour of, of being a serial killer almost yeah. you know where where they were like almost like you said became celebrities and so mm-hmm. that's the kind well, of like, glamour Bernard, yeah yeah bernie getz was one because you know I, if nobody's familiar with him he he was like the he was a subway vigilante mm. and if you asked him for money he'd kill you and so people were like, well, I don't agree with this, but I'm sick of those panhandlers. <laughs> it was wow. kind of a, like, a, I'm, you know, to, to quote Chris Rock, I'm not saying he should have killed them. I'm just saying I understand. There was that kind of thing starting to happen in the 80s. Nice. And the 80s was also, you know, we had, we had a president in the United States, at least we had a, pre- well, in, in Britain too, we had a president that said, hey, capitalism, make money. This was you Reagan deserve at the time, right? Reagan, yeah. Reagan and uh, in, in England, it was Margaret Thatcher. Thatcher. So it's like, hey, um, make money because you deserve it. This is the greatest place in the world and don't let anybody tell you different. You're, you know, this, you're an American and you deserve things. And, you know, the idea of, you know, hey, I'm exactly what I'm supposed to be. I just deserve whatever I want was rampant rampant in the 80s there is very much that that's the feeling i got a lot about these characters they're very much that self-entitlement when it comes to the thing mm-hmm. oh yeah almost like they know they're going to get away with it because we see that there's no should we say justice when it comes to local police force because hey they're just inept as all get out and uh, and our chief of police or they're on the take they're on the take you know as part of the network that's being set up by the biggest criminal in town who is the mayor exactly and and the, and i thought it was and we'll, we'll get to him shortly but i thought it was hilarious that the chief of police is literally like a nazi which i think was was, was hilarious he tries but, to get everybody to be quiet and he does this yeah he does the roman salute and then he he knocks his heels <sighs> together he's like mein Führer, i mean uh, my uh, mr mayor <laughs> he's he's very he's very dr strange love <laughs> exactly but uh, but yeah so I was uh, I was very much I thought it was interesting that there was no sort of I guess trying to think about in the real world these people are literally running over kids and mm-hmm. there's no holes barred when it comes to this movie it's very much like you mentioned um the South Park people you know it's very South Park in the sense that here children can get run over multiple times you will see old ladies being beaten up dogs being killed there's literally nothing is sacred when it comes to Trogoville so I think think, it's exaggeration and the fact that it was during the Reagan era it's interesting that so much subversive and revolutionary stuff fine enough the most creative stuff came out during these rather in inverted commas repressive times Mm -hmm. where it was very much more conservative so no surprise this was a product of that well, that's exactly that's that's exactly what bred Nazism in the first place. Mm-hmm. 
you know, when you have, you know, 1984, we were coming out of a bad recession, recession of like 82. And when, you know, Nazis were able to come to power in Germany, it was the same thing. It was the exact same thing. It's like, you're perfect. You're German. You got a raw deal in this last war. I'm going to, you know, a, a chicken in every pot and a car in every garage. I mean, no, that was Roosevelt, I know, but it's the, it was the German version of that. We're going to make the trains run on time, all of that stuff. And you, you know why you don't have what you deserve? It's this one group of people. Mm-hmm. And it's, I was, I was watching someone today on TikTok saying, I don't get white supremacy. Why is it a thing? And my answer is because white fragility breeds it that mm-hmm. you can't, you know, you know, white people have been told so much of their lives that they're so perfect. And when they're not, they have to double down on it. And that's exactly, you know, that's exactly what happened. Mm-hmm. You know, we, we saw, you know, this is, this is 1984. Um, it took about a year and a, a year or two for MTV to play black artists in the eighties. Wow. They wouldn't wow. play black artists at, at first. Um, and, you know, God bless David Bowie, because he called him on it and, <laughs> and really kind of made Mark Goodman squirm about it. Um, but there was still pretty rampant white supremacy bullshit going on. Mm. And that's, you know, that's what happens is you is if you can make someone who is down think that they're awesome. You know, we saw that here in the States in, in you know, from 2016 to 2020. If you make people think, oh, well, your opinion, as uneducated and as unthought out as it may be, is just as valid as science. Oh, yeah. They're going to follow you, you know, and that's that's how you get fascism. That's how you get people following Nazis. That's how you get people saying, I am entitled to this. And, you know, I can <laughs> I can kill dogs. I can kill Puerto Rican people just for the for the bragging rights of it. And it's, you know, I don't. I don't get it. I don't subscribe to it. I spend my life actively, (laughs) actively fighting it, but that's, you know, unfortunately what does it, there's a, there's a major, major, major fragility when your history is barren, your culture, when your cultural history is barren, the way it is for most white people, (laughs) you got to cling to something (laughs) and that's, and you cling to being better than somebody else when there is absolutely no evidence that you can possibly be better than anybody else. <laughs> Very well said. And that's actually an excellent segue into our next two characters here, because let's get to the most villainous of the lot. Like you've mentioned, the mayor of Tromobile himself and his faithful assistant. We have, of course, David N. Weiss as chief of police, though apparently in the movie we get, I think apparently his last name is Himmler, apparently, which is interesting. Mm-hmm. And uh, Pat Ryan Jr. as Mayor Peter Belgoody Goldberg. So when it came to these two, Zan, what did you make of, of them? They, he, I, felt, I felt like the mayor was kind of like like a like a Henry VIII, you know, I think they were trying to make him sort of this, this Henry VIII type Sultan dictator, almost like he's totally fine with trauma being Tromaville being this, this dumping ground because, you know, he's making money off of it until he realizes it's waterfront property. You know, he's dressed in it for the money. And even, even when you see cigar face and his gang, 
he's he's in it for the money. When you find out that you know the the gangs around town, when they talk about the boss, they're talking about the mayor. So there's absolutely nothing good about the government here, except for that one cop that gets attacked by Cigar Face and his gang. Um, so it's like the smallest of the, you know, the, the lowest on the rung of the local government, they might be okay. But the higher you get, like you said, the chief of police is basically a Nazi and the, the, the mayor is, um, you know, even though, even though you've got this vigilante, like unlike Batman, where Batman is working with the police, he doesn't want Toxie working at all because Toxie's going to figure out it's him. And, you know, that's, that's what happens. And, and we find out, we do find out that the mayor does have some guts, but not in, not metaphorically, physically, he does have intestines. So we do find that out. <laughs> but um, I mean, who else is going to, who else is going to run the capital, the, the, the toxic, the toxic waste capital of the country other than corrupt people, you know, it's, it's going to be, it's going to be these two guys. And they sort of set the tone for this town. I mean, if you grew up in this town that's corrupt and run by entitled people, you know, these kids, you know, like, uh, like Slug and Bozo and the, and the girls, they probably, they probably were raised by uh, families where the dads were lawyers on the take. And, you know, it, it's probably just an extremely, extremely corrupt situation. And the only people who aren't corrupt are going to be the ones with no power, the ones who aren't perfect, the, the little guy. I mean, the, this whole town is the little guy. And, and you see that later when everybody comes together to say, no, we're safer because of this guy. We can't, we're not going to let you. And it's not like, you know, oh, they shouldn't do that. They come out in droves to say, we're not going to let you because they know that this, that this mayor is corrupt, but there's nothing they can do about it because everybody else is corrupt too. So it's just, Tromaville is just a freaking cesspool all around, metaphorically and figure and literally. They, it's, it's just a complete cesspool. And they're, you know, as... It's actually Gotham City Hold My Beer. <laughs> it's, yeah, it's Gotham City. It's Gotham City Hold My Beer. Absolutely. You know, he's, you know, this mayor is Harvey Bullock times 10. Um, you know, I'm not, I'm not big, I'm not big on the fat jokes, but, um, I thought they were creative in this one. Just the idea that just, he's always sweating and he does have somebody there just to tap his brow (laughs) for fat jokes. I'll give it to Lloyd that those were actually pretty creative and they didn't seem tired. (laughs) No, I mean, I, I, I thought this, this was just hilarious. Like you said, the fact that it's literally the, the, the reigning powers that are corrupt because, you know, usually in a superhero movie, it would be a kingpin or a mob boss, or the more kind of classic villains, and it wouldn't be the man who holds the key to the city, uh, like right. you were saying. So it's, once again, very subversive. And I suppose it also is maybe commentary on, you know, it's the Reagan era, but there are a lot of, there's a lot of corruption going on. There's a lot of people taking bribes. And, you know, we, we mentioned this at the top of the episode, the whole thing of dumping toxic waste and being mm-hmm. on the take for it. And heck, it happens in Italy too, where you literally have the mafia who are around when it comes to um, just waste in general. They will- Waste be- management. 
Well said, <laughs> well played. And yes, exactly. It's just a, yeah, and literally they will do that in the sense they'll be on, you know, they'll get tons of money to move waste from one place to another, find a place to dump it and stuff. So I'm sure this was very much a thing in the States as well. And, oh, yeah. uh, and you know, you mentioned Dr. Strangelove and yes, the chief of police is very much out of Dr. Strangelove. And the yeah. fact that that apparently escapes the name that his last name is Himmler. I'm like, no surprise, Himmler, of course, being the head of the SS, and this is the chief mm-hmm. of police. So there you yeah. have it. I thought it was it was fantastic. And these people aren't even professional actors in the sense that David Weiss is more of a writer than an actor, mm-hmm. but he does such a great job of like, I have to try and stay in character, but you have the very thick German accent, you're doing Mein Führer and all this kind of thing. <laughs> it was it made me laugh so much. And uh yeah, you really hate him. And I was really, really looking forward to everybody getting their comeuppance. And uh, they did. Oh, yeah. Especially the mayor. <laughs> but, yeah, you absolutely can't wait for that. Kind of, and that's that's one of the great things about, about trauma movies is that rarely does a trauma movie give you the next big star. Mm. You know, this is not, you know, you're not going to, there's a horror movie from the 80s um, or 70s actually called He Knows You're Alone. That's pretty much only famous and anybody still talks about it because Tom Hanks is in it. Um, Or even something like, I mean, Halloween is a great movie, but, you know, gave us Jamie Lee Curtis. Um, There's not a lot of Jamie Lee Curtis's (laughs) in trauma movies. You get great writers, I guess, but not really. You get great writers, you get good, you get good directors, but he just kind of, he puts together like kind of a, just kind of a ragtag group of, friends that can that can uh i don't know just do what lloyd wants for fun i mean i i saw um lloyd at when you know when i this photo i have of myself with lloyd and Toxic Avenger and Sergeant Kabuki Man was at San Diego and Lloyd did a um, he was part of a panel of independent filmmaking mm-hmm. which which was interesting because a lot of what they talked about was getting money for film which you don't need to do anymore <laughs> and and this movie was got tons of sponsors if you look at the end credits right tons of sponsors and there are a couple of things that you can never ever cut corners on and he said, one thing is waste management. Like you have to pay, you have to pay for like daily porta potty removal. You have to pay for that. Like you can't skip on that. And craft services. He's like, it is amazing what people will do for you to make your movie if you feed them. <laughs> yes. And I think that, I mean, I think he just, I mean, I think it's just a fun production. He's a nice guy. And there's, you know, people are just willing to work for the experience and hey, they might not have gone on to be, you know, Billy Bob Thornton, who is in Chopper Chicks in Zombie Town. But, you know, they can say when they're, you know, maybe they'll get an invite to, to a cult movie convention or something like that. They can say, hey, I was in Toxic Avenger, <laughs> but I don't think you're, you don't get a lot of people who are whose dream is acting. I think you get more people whose dream is behind the scenes because you, you do learn a lot on a on a trauma movie because there's not a ton of people. You got to do everything. 
It's very true. So, and, I, and it has a lot to say, I think, about independent filmmaking generally. You think how many of these, some of the directors that we know who did these kind of movies, because I guess it's kind of what you have to do. I think of Sam Raimi, or I think of even mm-hmm. Quentin Tarantino, or heck, Peter Jackson, who was doing, yeah. who was doing literally, you know, these kind of gory splatter movies and then end up directing the or porno puppet show movies <laughs> yeah and then you end up winning yeah guys oscar gold through the ears you know, with with the lord mm-hmm. of the rings so yeah if you if you would have told me back in 1990 that the guy who did meet the feebles was going to win all the oscars one year <laughs> i would say um go back to 1955 and take the sports almanac away from biff because this is not real this is not a real, this is not a real future. This something went wrong. <laughs> it, it's very true. It, it's just, it's, here we are. Yeah, it's just fascinating. So uh, when, when it actually comes to ratings, then what do you give the Toxic Avenger out of 10? Oh, I definitely give this one an eight. Hmm. Um, because the <laughs> New Line Cinema has often referred to themselves, New Line Cinema is referred to sometimes as the house that Freddie built mm-hmm. because before basically putting up a second mortgage on his house, um, Michael Shea was buying B movies and redistributing them. They were a distribution house more than anything else. And then they put this money into this horror movie by the guy who did last house on the left about this burn victim child molester. <laughs> and it became nightmare on Elm street. And it turned New Line Cinema into an actual studio to be reckoned with. And so they refer to it as the house that, the house that Freddie built. And this movie, is, this movie is, has be, Troma has become the house that Toxie built. That this was really the first time they ever got into, because they were like bad sex comedies, which were rampant in the 80s. But they didn't, they didn't last. And honestly, I credit... John Hughes for kind of stopping the 80s sex comedy Mm. as being the, the, the core. I credit John Hughes as stopping it. And then I credit Wes Craven for starting another B movie craze because in the late seventies, early eighties, because in the seventies, when you could show boobs in movies, you did, even if you didn't have to. (laughs) And so these sort of dumb sex comedies became a thing and they were like, they weren't making a lot of money because they were, they were sophomoric, but rated R. So anybody who cared about seeing a sex comedy, AKA like a 13 year old boy couldn't go to the movies for that. Not everybody had cable VCRs were still prohibitively expensive until probably 1980 through 86 something like that the 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 original betamax came out in 1975 and i want to say because it was connected to a console tv i want to say it was 15 to 2500 dollars. i can't remember exactly what it was even when my parents bought our first vcr i want to say it was like 300 dollars in like 1985 money that's a lot of money to be able to watch stupid sex comedies (laughs) so when john hughes came on the scene and sort of made goofy comedies for teens. Yes, it was fine to go downstairs in your parents' rec room and watch Porky's on HBO, but Porky's is never going to have the same beloved 
history behind it as something like 16 candles, something like that. So I think he took the sophomoric audience and gave them their own movies. And then Wes Craven took the sophomoric audience and Sean S. Cunningham as well um, with, with Friday the 13th. They sort of took that sort of sophomoric audience and gave them not just boobs, but gore as well. So by like the, you know, by the mid eighties, like if you saw a sex comedy, it was something like about last night where it was a little bit more of a sexy relationship comedy, but you weren't, you weren't seeing that like Porky's ski school, uh, little whorehouse in Texas, which was a play, but still you weren't seeing as much of that. Mm -hmm. And so I think the fact that they made the jump from stupid sex comedy to comedic horror or gory horror, I think did them very well um, because then you had, then you were able to have things like nymphoid barbarian and dinosaur hell, which is, you know, boobs all over the place, but also dinosaurs. <laughs> so there was a little more to it or something like, um, you know, Newcomb high, you still had this, because that was also a huge, huge fear. Nuclear, nuclear annihilation was every kid in the 80s went to bed thinking they were going to die because the Russians were going to bomb us. It was such a huge thing. So when you have this nuke high of like, oh, wait, we can all just be mutants and still go to school? That might work. Um, or even something like Night of the Comet, where there's this weird comet that mutates some people and not everybody else. So there was always something, and all these movies did have boobs in them, but it wasn't just boobs. You needed something else besides boobs. And Troma did that. And Troma was, and you know, another one of my all-time favorite Troma movies is Surf Nazis Must Die. Again, it's a revenge story. Um, so the revenge stories are really good. And then, I mean, I love Sergeant Kabuki Man, but it's a little ridiculous and it is a little xenophobic. But <laughs> you, Troma figured out that you needed more than just sex romps and Toxie gave us that Toxie is a superhero we can kind of all get behind because he's he's dealt an incredibly bad hand you know he gets made fun of when when he's still Melvin and then when he's Toxie you know how long is he going to last can he have kids who knows is he going to poison somebody he has sex with how's this going to work how long is he going to last this way is his skin going to start sloughing off in uh you know, now that he's been, you know, exposed to this, I mean, we, we found out some really gruesome realities about what happens when you are exposed to toxic levels of toxic waste, thanks to Chernobyl. Yeah. You know, we, you know, we had guys, they were exposed to the core and then their skin turned black and fell off and they died a horrible, horrible death. So you're like, what's going to happen with Toxie? So you're behind him. You're rooting for him. And what's his weapon? A mop. We all have a mop in the house. You know, we could all, you know, we could all be vigilantes with something around the house. I mean, that's one of my favorite things about uh, um, Dark Crystal, Age of Resistance, the character Hup, whose weapon is a spoon. You know, it doesn't, it doesn't take tons of firepower. It doesn't take um, Kryptonian strength. I mean, you can, you can fight people if you have to with what you've got around. 
So he's really a superhero we can get behind. I mean, even if this is not a movie that everybody's seen, I mean, I think you go up to most people in the street and say, do you know who the toxic Avenger is? And they'd be like, what? But, you know, you go to, <laughs> you go up to a Generation X cult movie fanatic and they're, they're going to be very excited to talk to you about this one. <laughs> so this, and like you said, you were, you know, this is a movie where you think, oh, I'm going to see a stupid movie, but you're like, no, I'm really into this. I get really behind these characters. I get really invested. Yep. So, yeah, this one gets an eight for me. You know what? You and I are in sync because I'm also going to give this an eight out of tens. I thoroughly enjoyed it. I thought I was going to end up tearing it to pieces like I have other movies uh, from this epoch and before. But uh, I really enjoyed it. I mean, I enjoyed the, the message it brings. As much as I'm not a huge fan of B movies, I probably would watch it again. And I see now why my brother was so enamored with it. And he has, as I said, literally had a poster of the, the movie mm -hmm. missing his wall. So, I loved it. I, I'm very much, uh, very much was surprised. It made me want to go and watch the other three films which are out. So, uh, I mean, mm -hmm. we'll, be, we'll be discussing them on this podcast at some point. So, I'm going to have to, anyways. But yeah, it's an eight out of ten for me. And uh, when it actually comes to recommendations, and I mean, I know you are a wealth of knowledge and have seen almost every movie under the sun. For folks who enjoyed this, what do you recommend they should check out? Surf Nazis for sure. Um, and if you're interested, like I said, if you're interested in that sort of mutated type of story, um, definitely Repo Man. It's not necessarily toxic, but it is alien. Um, probably Night of the Comet. And... I'm going to have to say Sergeant Kabuki Man. I mean, I, I, I love Sergeant Kabuki Man. It's, uh, it's, it's pretty good. And then if you find yourself liking this, this trauma style and you do like James Gunn, I highly recommend that you see Tromeo and Juliet. That's, uh, that's definitely something that you should, that you should do. But, um, yeah. And then the sequels are fun because to you just love Toxie, you know, you, you wind up liking Toxie. They get a little weird, but um, you can stick with the sequels and class of Newcomb high is you can't, can't quite go wrong with that one either. There you go. Well, some great uh, recommendations there, folks. And I'm also going to add, and I believe it's actually on YouTube, check out Toxic Crusaders because it's kind of a fun time. I mean, it's a little bit bland or it's not as edgy as the movies, but it's a good time, I think. And uh, if you're a good way to indoctrinate children into the traumaverse. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. You have your, like, you know, if I have my niece over, she's a little bit older, I'll have her watch Toxic Crusaders. Like, I'll wait for a couple of years and then you can, you can sit down and watch Toxic Avenger together. But uh, exactly. I would definitely, definitely uh, recommend those. And the other thing I also wanted to ask you, Zan, as I mentioned, we are going to be getting this remake of the Toxic Avenger. And apparently uh, Lord Kaufman and hers are going to be behind it. And um, mm -hmm. it's going to be starring Peter Dinklage. Now, are you still interested in something like that? I mean, would you find yourself rushing to the theater to watch it? Or at this point, you're like, do we even need a remake? Um, I would, I'll definitely go see it. I'll, I'll definitely go see it because Toxie to me is one of those, Toxie is almost like the next generation of a universal horror monster. You know, like, I don't care who does Dracula. I'm interested in a Dracula movie. Like if you want to make a Frankenstein movie, I'll be interested in seeing that. Um, 
because what I what I love about this series is the character of Toxie. It's not that I think that one actor has to be Toxie. Um, it's not that I think that you because you know Chris and I talk about this a lot when someone complains about a reboot or a remake or you know you still have the original movie. You know, if, if it turns out we don't like it, we can still watch this one. It's not like it's going to erase that one. It's not replacing it. Um, I think Peter Dinklage is fantastic. Um, he's he's in some of my favorite stuff. I don't. I, I think I've mentioned before um, a movie called the, uh, the Station Agent that I absolutely adore him in. Um, he can do just about he can do just about anything. And the one thing I wouldn't want to see is a toxic Avenger that did not have Kaufman Hertz blessing. Mm -hmm. And since this one does, I think, and I think that Lloyd Kaufman breeds some loyalty. And I don't think that anybody who wants to take on this project is interested in making it theirs i think they're probably going to be interested in an homage to lloyd so i am i am definitely interested in, in seeing that because i wouldn't want at this point i wouldn't want to see a toxie sequel toxie's 40 <laughs> i mean <laughs> yeah it's time for a reason I so i guess yeah yeah if we want to keep toxie alive we might have to reboot it and you know if it if it brings more people into the Tromaverse and if it kickstarts the Tromaverse again, I mean, we saw in the, in the mid two thousands, we started seeing this resurgence of made for sci-fi channel, Roger Corman movies, some of which I love. Right. Um, so if we can have like another resurgence of, of trauma type movies, because, you know, trauma does have their streaming service. So, you know, we'll see what we'll see what that can bring. I don't think I don't think Lloyd's ready to stop and I don't think we're ready to stop loving these characters. I couldn't have put it better myself. I'm very, very I'm actually very excited about this. And it'll be interesting to actually mm -hmm. go to the theater to watch this because as soon as yeah. it's out, I'm going to the theater. I'm like, yay, I'm old enough to enjoy this stuff. I hope it gets an R rating and everything else. And hopefully, like oh, you yeah. said, that like you said the fact that um Kaufman and Hertz are att attached to this it'll probably be true to that spirit and hopefully they will have like a hand in, you know, mm -hmm. seeing how things progress. And also I'm really, really excited about this and uh, well, we'll be interested to talk about uh, here on the podcast. So that's our movie folks. And of course, dear listeners, if you want to share your thoughts on the movies we discuss here, or if like Zan, you'd like to take the plunge and join us here on the show, you can do so by shooting us an email at happinessanddarknesshow at gmail.com. Free the show support by giving us a like on Facebook, where you find us as Happiness and Darkness. Also follow us on Twitter. We're at High Darkness Pod. Also, if you'd like to support the podcast, feeling generous, feel free to check out what we have going on on Patreon, where you'll be able to pick films that go outside of what are considered regular superhero movies or even films inspired by comics like 300 or I Kill Giants or Death Note or even films which inspired comics such as Aliens, Robocop, Terminator and more. Check all that out. Head on over to patreon.com slash happiness and darkness and a big, big thank you to our wonderful patrons for their support. And Zan, when you're not here discussing the Toxic Avenger and beyond, where can folks find you on the interwebs? Well, you can find me with you and our friend Rachel on Gold Standard, the Oscars podcast. Um, we just wrapped up, what did we just do? Annie Hall? Correct. 
yeah, the problematic Annie Hall. <laughs> and we'll be doing the deer hunter in the next, in the next week. Um, where we discuss all the best picture winners from the inception of the best picture Oscar. And we're working our way up to modern day. Or you can find me with our friend Charles Skaggs in the Drunk Cinema Theater, where we do drunk cinema, where we discuss our favorite, usually cult movies over our favorite adult beverages. We just did uh, um, Big Trouble in Little China. Next time we will be doing Star Wars. So if you're interested in hearing me and Charles and alcohol discussing Star Wars, by all means. Um, and then Charles and I also do Ghostwood, the Twin Peaks podcast, where we discuss all things Twin Peaks and David Lynch and all things tangentially related to Twin Peaks and David Lynch, where right now we are um, doing a series of movies we love that star Twin Peaks people. And in a couple of days, Charles and I will be recording an episode of The Journey of Natty Gann, which stars Ray Wise, the, um, the ever tragic, uh, spoiler alert, murderer. Leland, he stars as Leland Palmer in um, Twin Peaks. So, and you can find me on social media as Udenax19 on either Instagram, TikTok, or Twitter, or Zan Sprouse on Facebook. Fantastic. And folks, when it comes to me, you can, of course, find me hosting the radio show Whiskey and Cigarettes, where we play today's country, traditional country, and everything else in between. More info about that, visit our website, whiskeyandcigarettesshow.com. Podcast-wise, as Zan was saying, you can find us on Gold Standard, the Oscars podcast, along with Rachel Friend. And uh, speaking of Charles Skaggs, him and I can be found on the Fandom Zone. We wrapped up our review of Moon Knight next month, as we're taking a little bit of a break. We will be discussing Miss Marvel on there. And... Um, if you're fans of the Titans or Doom Patrol, myself and Charles can be found on Titan Talk, the Titans podcast, where we, we uh, wrapped up the season three of those two shows while we wait for the new ones to come out. And speedings to come on this show, next time we'll be taking on the 1987 Michael Goddard film, Masters of the Universe. When it comes to you, Zan, thank you so much for joining me today. It was really a joy to have you back and definitely look forward to, to you coming back anytime you want. Thank you so much for having me. Yes, we'll definitely have to get back together and discuss the uh, reboot of Toxie. Yes, indeedy. I have to just say this real quick. You mentioned our friend Charles Skaggs. I will be um, stopping by his uh, Next Up Everywhere podcast that he does with Jesse Jackson um, tomorrow to discuss mm -hmm. Out of the Rain, the Torchwood episode. So um, let's uh, give Charles one more plug because... Uh, <laughs> We love Charles around here. We, we love Charles very, very much indeed. And yes, folks, uh, thanks as always, of course, for listening to the show and supporting us. We'll see you next time with Masters of the Universe. Until then, stay super. Ciao. Bye-bye.